Hi, I'm Maria. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm Maria. And I'm Karen, compul- recovered compulsive overeater. Hi, Hi, everyone. So today we're going to talk to you about the first four chapters in the big book, which deal with step one, powerlessness of our disease. So we're going to start off with the doctor's opinion. And I don't know what um, page it is in the fourth edition, because I have the third edition. Okay, so the doctor's opinion. The doctor's opinion begins with the word, we. It's a big capital W in italics, we. So we are not meant to do this program alone. So that's what I was told by my first sponsor at the big book meeting, is that that word was very important. And... They use the past tense in this chapter um, to because now the problem is in the past. And like they use the word witnessed our return to health. So ED ending is past tense. So the problem is now in the past. I still have the disease of compulsive eating, that the problems it is causing in my life on a daily basis, the constant obsession with food and eating and dieting and losing weight and is gone. I'm free today. Um, so I returned to health. And on the first page of the chapter, it says to whom it may concern, and someone told me to write my name down and say, Dear Maria, are you concerned? Like, am I concerned about my eating? Um, I was very concerned because I couldn't stop. Um, I was of the type that I had come to regard as hopeless, and that's really what the, this, this book is for. This book is for the compulsive eater of the type that is beyond hope. So for me to lose a significant amount of weight, to put it all back on, to go to CVS and buy a one or two pound box of Russell Stover chocolates and eat them in the parking lot was pretty darn hopeless. And when I had come into OA and gone to a few meetings, I really didn't think that this program was for me, but every time that I would do that particular behavior, I would say, well, maybe they were right. So... And it just got worse. So I got up to 282 pounds, and I could not stop eating. And it didn't matter if my baby was crying, if my husband needed attention. It did not matter. I could not stop eating. Um, So they also tell us in this first page that um, it's in the one, two, third paragraph after the Dear Maria, Are You Concerned? or whatever, fill in the blank. It says that they must do likewise with still others. So the big book doesn't throw any punches for us. I was told right away that I was going to have to carry this message to others right from the first page of the instructions. So if you think that this doesn't apply to you, it does. It's um, kind of like going to school to get a degree and then not practicing with your degree. Like you got to help someone else. Um, you are that bad if you're a compulsive eater and you need to help someone else. And they use the word appear to have recovered at the end of that paragraph because it's past tense. And that's hope. Like, I no longer suffer in this disease today. I can go to any party, wedding, baptism, uh, social event, go on a beer crawl if I want to. I can go anywhere I want and be free from this disease as long as I stay in fit spiritual condition and I have a good reason to be there. 
So I'm no longer suffering in this disease today. I don't wake up on Monday morning and say, oh God, what am I going to wear? Because nothing fits for my binging over the weekend. Or I was so busy binging over the weekend and I never did my laundry. So I'm not suffering in that anymore. Other methods have failed completely. I tried just about everything. I considered doing weight loss surgery. I did not do that. I, but I did consider it, but I just knew by that time I had enough time in the rooms that I knew that I would just eat right through that too. Like, I'm just going to eat right through that and be in the bathroom the entire time. Um, I tried, like, I remember being 15 years old and bicycling like miles down a very busy road to get to a Weight Watcher meeting. I went to Weight Watchers in two states when I got a license because I was too embarrassed to go back to the first one. I didn't want anybody to know me. So I, would go, <laughs> I, um, I spent a lot of money at a popular diet clubs. And I'm not saying that those things are bad, but for a compulsive eater like me, they did not work. Um, nothing worked. Like I, I, tried, I didn't get injected with pregnant women's hormones, but at the time, if I had access to that, I probably would have tried that too. I stole my mother's amphetamines. She, was, she used to go to the diet doctor and get amphetamines. They were in a little baby food jar. I used to steal them. Um, I used to like restrict to like X amount of calories one day and then go play four sets of tennis um, and then go binge the next day as my free cheat day. I did all kinds of crazy things. Um, and they all failed. So on the next page, we flip the page. Like I said, my numbers are different. Um, it says that I have to believe that my body is quite as abnormal as my mind. And what's wrong with my body? My body has an allergy. I have an abnormal reaction to particular foods. It presents itself in a phenomenon of craving. And it, like, the main ingredient for me is sugar. I'm very highly sensitive to sugar. I'm highly sensitive to artificial sweeteners. Even that sweet taste, whether it's from sugar or not, I just have a problem with it. I don't have a problem if it comes from fruit, but like concentrated fruit juice, yes. Um, and it presents itself in a phenomenon of craving, which means that I want more. I want more. And I can't stop this craving. No amount of willpower can stop this craving. I've got to have it. My brain will not leave me alone if I have that allergen in my system until I get it. And I don't know how much of that is going to trip it up for me. So I just don't have any. And the book tells us that it's imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached. Because if I'm getting trace amounts of the food that I'm allergic to, I'm probably going to hear your instructions in this book a little bit fuzzy. So I came to a lot of these big book panels for years. But I'm still having trace amounts of the substance in my system. So did I hear some stuff? Yeah. Did I highlight it and underline it? Yeah. Did I write notes about it? Yeah. But did I really hear it? No. I didn't hear it until those substances had been cleared out of my system. And that happened about a week to 10 days after I had put down all of my alcoholic foods. And then I heard it. It was on the Schuylkill Expressway, stopped in traffic with a CD in the car. And that's when I heard it. 
Um, and it was imperative that my brain be cleared. And I was absolutely miserable that morning because I was at a breakfast buffet at the Hyatt. I had gone to see my daughter and I'd stayed overnight at the Hyatt. She lived, you know, a couple, yeah, it was about two, three hours away in Pennsylvania. And um, it was very difficult for me to um, just have my abstinent breakfast. Now, would it be difficult for me today as a recovered woman in fit spiritual condition? No. But a week out from the food, yes, it was difficult. And I was feeling very sorry for myself. Um, but I did it. Through the grace of God, I did it. Um, so I had a chance of understanding and accepting what I heard in the car that afternoon. Um, so we'll go on to the next page, and I'll tell you in a little bit what I heard in the car. Um, the doctor writes, and he writes, this is Dr. Silkworth. Dr. Silkworth treated tons and tons of alcoholics in this hospital. Some of the alcoholics would dry out and go home, and he would never see him again. Some of the alcoholics would dry out and come back over and over and over and over. And if that sounds familiar to the types of things that you do with food, this is the, this is the type of alcoholic that he was interested in. And he talks about how he met... Um, Bill W. And he said that he acquired some ideas which he put into practical application at once. So my sponsor told me, Bill did not say, let me go home and think about it. Bill put it into practical, um, practical application at once. And it wasn't Dr. Silkworth's ideas that he put into practice. It was his, his friend, his friend Abby. Those were the ideas that he put into practice. We'll talk about him in a little bit. The last sentence of that page, it says, of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor. And this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological benefits can be of maximum benefit. We have to put the food down. It totally sucks. I get it. I was crying. I hate all this food. It tastes awful. I hate it. I hate it. My sponsor was probably doing somersaults. <laughs> Because I was clean and I hated it. I was, my palate wasn't used to it at all. And I absolutely hated it. I was getting absolutely no effect from anything that I was eating. Um, but that's the place that you got to be if you're going to hear the instructions. So if you've got an ace up your sleeve of a food that maybe you're not talking about or you don't want anybody to know about, it's, you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, you know, the more honest you can be about your food and your food behaviors with this disease, the better off you're going to be. Me keeping secrets got me in the relapse. Me trying foods that were kind of on the borderline and not talking about it with anybody got me in the relapse. So one of my alcoholic food behaviors is not discussing new foods. I like this gimmicky foods. Not discussing it with a recovered member of my sponsor. So that was on my list of alcoholic food behaviors. Is I would not add a new food in without talking to her. Um, and it keeps me honest. And the more honest you can be, the more you can tell on this disease about what you're doing with food. And really, nobody's going to be surprised in this room. You know, your friends at work might be surprised. Well, your family might be surprised. We're going to be like, yeah, we did that. You know? <laughs> and we all know anyway. <laughs> you know? So, okay, so the allergy. The allergy never safely... Use, we can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. Never, ever. So I'm a highly allergic to sugar. I do not have honey. I do not have uh, sucrose. I don't have organic sugar. Um, you know, 
responsibly farm sugar. I don't have it. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to wrap up with this paragraph because I'm getting to that 15-minute mark. Okay, this is the paragraph on the bottom of this page that I heard. It was by a speaker named Harling Grabowski. He's on um, Vision, and he's a really gifted speaker, and he, he, very, he enunciates words really well, and I had listened to him for years. I had his, that's why I had the CD in my car. I, had listened, I hadn't been clean when I was listening to it. You have to put the food down. And this is what he said, bottom of the page. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. I like the effect produced by chocolate. <sighs> oh, that's so much better. Oh, it's not so bad. I look gorgeous. I don't know why. <laughs> the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it's injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. I lie to myself and I lie to everybody else. I'm doing great. I'm fine. I'm back on track. To, to them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. Doesn't everybody eat like this? No. They are restless, irritable, and discontent unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. My grandkids can have a Hershey kiss and be perfectly fine. My husband can. Born. <laughs> Some of my friends can. I cannot. Because once I do, the allergy is going to get triggered. Um, I will get a sense of ease and comfort at once, and the more my disease progresses, the shorter the ease and comfort lasts. You might have lasted for 15 minutes the first time I tried it. It lasted for two seconds in my relapse. So I succumb to the desire. I yield to a superior force. The craving is beyond my control, and I, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops. They pass through the well-known stages of a spree. I eat the whole box. I go get more. Emerging remorseful, understatement of the century. I emerged wanting to, like, this heart disease was not going to take me out. Diabetes wasn't going to take me out, at least not at this point in my life. Depression was going to take me out. Why am I here, God? I'm miserable. I'm eating or I'm not eating, and I want to die. I have a beautiful family, and I want to die. So if you think that, you know, if you have X, Y, or Z in place, the, the, this, this, problem's going to go away now um i'm going to have a firm resolution not to drink it again i'm on track i'm going to put it down this is repeated and he says over and over and over and over unless that person can experience an entire psychic change there's very little hope of his recovery entire psychic change that's what my sponsor was trying to give me the instructions to do and when i heard this because i was clean i was like give me the change I'm tired of this. This is going to kill me. Give me the change. Then it went from, oh, feeling sorry for myself, nothing tastes good, to what do I got to do? Come on, let's go. <laughs> like Then I wanted to work like my hair was on fire. Um, and then the last paragraph is, on the other hand, as strange as it may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the person, the very same person who seemed doomed me, who had no many, so many problems he ever despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol, the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules, the 12 steps. So I'm going to end the chapter on that note. Okay. Just keep going. Yeah, you can run it All right.
now we're going to skip over to Bill's story, which is on page one. All right. This W on the first letter here, too, but it's called war. <laughs> okay, so, Bill, you want to disregard the time, the gender, and identify with the thinking of Bill. So how do I identify with his thinking? Okay, so in the beginning, food was like I was part of life at last, and in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. You know, that's how it all started. Mine started, I was very young. I can't even remember how young because I was too young to remember, three, four, five. I can remember pitching a fit at my five-year-old birthday party in front of my mother and my mom because I had gotten a strawberry shortcake and I really wanted chocolate cake. Strawberry shortcake was not sweet enough for me. Sweet and heavy enough, I'm a chocolate person. I wanted chocolate cake and I remember pitching a fit and they were trying to console me. They probably felt so bad that they had gotten me the wrong birthday cake. And that's, that was probably one of the earliest memories that I can remember. When I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol, all my school age years, very lonely. I was a chubby kid. I was teased mercilessly. One time I had two boys hold me down and another boy held a knife to my neck and he said he was gonna kill me because I was so fat. I mean, it was not safe for me to walk to and from school and we went home for lunch, so it was great. I had to do it four times a day. Um, but when I look back at the pictures, I really wasn't like this huge, I was a chubby kid. My mother fed us well. She did have treats in the house. I would eat them all until my brother did it. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't like, you know, they didn't care what we ate or didn't care what my, you know, nutritional needs were. And that probably saved me from becoming this huge obese child. Um, but I was a chubby kid. Um... And the next page, on page two, he said, I proved to the world I was important. I was going to prove to the world that I could be thin. Supermodels, magazine ads, they were my heroes because they were thin. And the one thing my mother wanted me to be was thin. My mother is very pretty. She's also a compulsive eater. She's not in recovery. She did laxatives, diet pills, binging, uh, everything, you know, it was always, you know, you had to be thin. You had to be thin and you had to smile. And I was going to prove, I was going to, I was going to prove to the world that I could be thin. Um, when I got out of her, when I got married, and I think I got married to get out of the house. My parents fought a lot. I didn't have any peace from that fighting until I went on my honeymoon. And for five days or six days, I had, there was absolutely no fighting and it was wonderful. And they didn't hit each other, but yell and scream and holler constantly, always arguing, biting and barbing. They're still together. <laughs> <laughs> I see them every week. My mom has dementia now, so she doesn't. She could try and do that to my father, but <laughs> she probably won't remember. <laughs> so, um, but I put on weight so much. I was like 180 pounds when I got married. Um, and I was doing, like, stealing Lasix from patients' drawers to lose weight to, um, to get into the fittings for the dress. Um, 
And I think by, I got married in November, and then I think by Christmas, I probably put on probably about 40 or 50 pounds. I remember going to, like, family events, and they were, like, just shocked. Like, oh, you must be so happy you're, like, eating. Like, but really what it was is there was no longer, you know, this person watching my eating. And it was, like, my my poor ex-husband, because, first of all, is that a reason to marry somebody? get out of the house like you should marry somebody because you love them you want to spend the rest of your life with them did I tell myself that yeah did I love them yes did I love them like a woman should love her husband no I loved them like a brother somebody who got me out of a bad situation my hero and it was like the junkie marrying the dealer let's order in Let's get some cheesesteaks. I don't feel like having that. Let's get some cheesesteaks. Yeah! Let's go to McDonald's. What do you want? Like, he would get, like, two or three of everything, and if I just had one big one, I was like, oh, I was good, you know? So I was eating quite a bit. I just want to check my time. Um, so, you know, did I steal for my, for my disease? Absolutely. Did people fear for my sanity? Because now I'm like up to 282 after my baby. I was bigger at the postnatal visit than I was when I delivered. So that tells you what I did after I delivered the baby. Um, but I was starting to think some really terrible thoughts. And what happened was I had a Mary Kay party in my house. I didn't really want to have it, but I liked the girl who uh, wanted to help her out. And here she has, she was a psychologist. And who do I tell that I'm having problems with food is the Mary Kay lady. And where does she send me? She sends me to Overeaters Anonymous. And she sends me to a doctor who again says to go to Overeaters Anonymous. So instead of spending 80 bucks and driving to Norbirth PA, I decided to just go to Overeaters Anonymous. <laughs> she sent me to the Friday night meeting in Cherry Hill and that's where um, I started to get better. I had admitted complete defeat. Um, at the time, they were not like big book meetings, um, but the program worked really well for me for a long time. I think I was uh, abstinent for like 18 years. And I think the only reason that I stayed abstinent for those 18 years was that I was a very big proponent of doing step studies. Like, this is like a step study, sort of. Like, I would start a step study, finish it, and start another one. I had a partner that her and I would do this on a continual basis. Um, but there came a day where I just decided that I could handle a little bit of sugar. And that day didn't stop for about six and a half years. So if you think that, you know, if you get this disease down and you get to a normal body size and... Um, that's not going to happen. You're still going to have this disease. Um, so now I kind of have to do that step study instead of on a cyclical basis. I need to do it on a daily basis. <laughs> um, all right, so I was in relapse for about six and a half years. I go to the Friday night meeting, and I was kind of afraid to approach some people um, about asking for help, but this one particular person seemed very sane and neutral, and, and she was very successful, and um, I had gone to the Friday night meeting, stopped at the Barnes & Noble, had the cheesecake, 
had put lipstick on, wore my good coat that I got in Italy, and I didn't think anybody would notice that I had just binged. And I asked her if I could call her, and she said, sure, um, I could call her. Um, and she said, but are you really done? And I was kind of shocked by that. Um, I just wanted to call her. <laughs> and then she said, well, you look all sugared up to me. <laughs> and I was like, damn, how does she know? Like, do I have something on my clothes? You know? <laughs> Is it in my teeth? <laughs> Like, that's how crazy I looked. <laughs> she was very worried about me driving home in that condition. <laughs> and I was like, what the? <laughs> and she told me to go to the Sunday morning meeting in this room. And I was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> I said, I'm kind of afraid to go there. And I, she said, well, you know, there's a lot of people there who aren't going to be thumping their books and yelling and cursing. And I was like, Okay, so I decided to go, and if anything, just to prove her wrong that I was really done. I mean, I was, I was really, but I really was done. Like, I came crawling in here, and the people that I was so afraid of were so kind to me. When I came in here, it was just my pride saying that. It was just the disease getting its way. They were very kind to me. They said, how do you feel? I said, I feel hopeless. They said, it's seemingly hopeless. That was a relief for me. And they introduced me to my first big book sponsor. She didn't know me. I didn't know her. Couldn't manipulate her in any way. She wasn't <laughs> having it. <laughs> I, I don't know where she is right now. Um, she went back out, I think. I don't know. I don't know where she is. She hasn't answered any of my calls. Um, but I got through the steps with her. And then one day I'm sitting at a meeting at work. It was at, I work at a school. I'm retiring from this job. I can't wait. <laughs> God's put me in a really um, big situation that I feel is unmanageable. And I need to just trust him that he's going to get me through this and that I don't really need to worry. All I need to do is just show up. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. I talked about work. That was probably a bad thing. Anyway, um, oh yeah, I was at work. And they were having the end of the year staff meeting, and my boss is extremely generous. He doesn't have to do this. He buys everybody pizza and ice cream and has the toppings, and the home ec teacher, who is the most goody two-shoes person that I'll ever meet, puts it all out in this beautiful spread. But you know what? I really was oblivious to all that. I'm sitting at this meeting, and I'm like, something's wrong here. What's wrong here? Like, do I have something on my shirt? Like, what's wrong here? You know, of course it's me, you know. And I realized I was the only one in the room not eating. And I didn't care. I was just having a good time. It was the end of the year. We were all going on summer break if we wanted it. You know, it was a good time. You know, I didn't know. And then I'm like, wow, this is what they were talking about, the neutrality. That's what this disease promises you at step 10. And you will keep that if you continue this message and you carry that for the other people. You get that neutrality. Um, and that's what the neutrality, that's, and I had probably been experiencing that. I came in in January, the staff meeting was probably end of May. I had probably been experiencing that neutrality for a month or two, but I just didn't really sense it. You know, I kind of just was just doing my thing. But it, by May, I was sponsoring other people. 
Um, and I was scared to sponsor other people, to be honest. I, you know, I was calling my sponsor and saying, well, what do I do? What do I do? You know, I'm feeling like, what am I going to say? Blah, blah, blah. And I took two calls, took them through some of the book. I put the phone down. I went into the other room and I said to my husband, I didn't know I could feel this good. But somebody who suffers from depression, that's a pretty good feeling. And I will keep that as long as I stay in fit spiritual condition. Do I ever get depressed anymore? Yeah, absolutely. But now I have a um, list of instructions on how to get out of it. So, you know, hopefully you're not one of those people who could not or would not see our way of life. Because... If you have this disease and you cannot or will not see our way of life, you're going to keep repeating that cycle that Harlan talked about. And it will go on relentlessly, and it will get worse. But thank God we have a solution, right? Thank God. And I don't have to live like that. I'm still going to wake up tomorrow and still be a compulsive eater. Um, I woke up today, I'm a compulsive eater. It's like me thinking I'm going to wake up tomorrow and have a different hair and eye color and stature and skin color. I'm going to wake up like that. You don't have to suffer anymore. I'm not suffering today. Karen's not suffering today. There's a lot of people in this room who are not suffering today. If you want the suffering to stop, you've got to follow the directions. That's all I got. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Karen, recovered compulsive overeater. Hi, I think I'm going to pass pictures around just because I keep them with my big book. The one in the red, I thought I, I had it that night. I thought, yeah, this is, this is good. So you'll see it when you see it. <laughs> so here's how I know that there's actually an allergy of the body. I think um, I was raised Catholic, believed in everything the Catholic school taught me, and then stopped believing in my, I don't know, 20s, 30s, it gradually, until like in my 50s. I didn't believe there was God, a God at all. So, um, but I think this spirit of the universe, this what all those words in the book were leading me here without me even knowing that any that it existed. And here's how I know that. About six or seven years ago, I um, all my life sometimes I have a hard time swallowing food, and then I drink water and it would go down. But as I got older, it got worse. Till it got so bad, I would drink water and the water would stick and then come up. It was <clears throat> disgusting. So um, one time in work, I was eating in my car and it got stuck. I was eating chicken. It was stuck. I drank water. It, the water came out. It was gross. Finally, it came out. It was, it was, it was chicken and it was phlegm. I'm sorry, but that's what it was. So it was all over the place. I called in, I said, I have to go home, I just threw up. So I went home. On the way though, I mean, I threw up my lunch, so I had to eat lunch. So I stopped at Taco Bell and, had, and was waiting in line and I realized there was more stuck and I had this chatty lady talking to me about whatever as I'm just trying to get my food and get out of there. So hopefully this would come up so I could eat my Taco Bell. So. I finally go to the doctor about it. It turns out I have this, it's called eosinophilic esophagitis, or um, asthma of the esophagus. So when I eat certain foods over the years, these white blood cells, eosinophils, attack my esophagus for I don't know why. 
I think it's an autoimmune disease. I'm not really sure. So it makes it narrower, and then things get stuck. So I went, found out I had that. The doctor said, it's fine. We can figure out how to deal with it. Go to a food allergist. I go to a food allergist. Turns out I can't eat eight foods. And they're healthy. There's eggs, dairy, nuts, soy, pineapples, oranges, and peas. Okay, but the, I love dairy. I love nuts. I love eggs. But I, if I ate them, this would happen again. And I didn't want this happening again. My father died of colon cancer. Like, so to me, cancer, goofy, but like I, I'm afraid of cancer. So I didn't want any of this. So because this doctor told me, and it's somewhere in this book, if you're told to stop and you do, you're, you're probably just a heavy drinker. So for those foods, I was able to stop eating, and it went away. I can, I, I can swallow food now. It doesn't bother me. And I still to this day say, if eggs, if God said to me, you could have either eggs or ice cream for the rest of your life with no problem whatever, what would you choose? I would choose eggs. I would choose eggs over ice cream. That's how much I love eggs. But I was able to give them up. Now I know it's because I don't have an allergy that causes this phenomenon of craving for eggs. It's just that they're bad for me in another way. I just don't eat them. I love them. I don't eat them. Um, turns out there's a, there was in Collingswood a bakery called Sweet Freedom where you can buy bakery items with a, um, the things I'm allergic to, a lot of people are allergic to apparently. So I went right there, and I, every week, I would buy everything they had, and I would eat. It's, it was like sweet dirt, you know, but that was good enough for me. At my retirement party, they bought a cake from there, and everybody's like, this is disgusting. <laughs> and uh, like, couldn't you buy yourself a cupcake from there and get us a cake? Because no. <laughs> I thought it tasted good, because it was sugar. With me, it's... Sugar is the main thing, but I so. But anyway, I I ate that, and I still don't eat any of those other things. Even though I know nuts are can be good for you, dairy can be good for you. I'm jealous of people who can eat low-fat cottage cheese because I'd be eating that, and that would help. You know, it's an easy lunch. You can eat it, but I don't eat that. So that's how. But but when I got here, and they told me I had an allergy that causes a phenomenon of craving, I bought into it like that because my other allergy is weird. Like I don't get hives or I don't sneeze. I get a, an esophagus that wants to close up. So why would I not believe that other foods I eat can cause a weird phenomenon of craving? So that's how I know the allergy of the body is real. Some people don't believe it, but it's real. So the, the obsession of the mind I know is real because even after you're off these allergic foods and behaviors, with me there's a lot of behaviors that I can't do. I can't eat at night. That was my time for eating. I can't eat between meals. I can't bite, licks, or taste. I can't have anything in a bag. It's, I know it's weird, but like it could be lentil chips, low-fat lentil chips with a little bit of sea salt. I should be able to eat that. Nope, I can't eat it. I think it's the bag. I open that, I smell it. 
so I just I just stay away from I don't need any of that stuff. So so that's how that that's how it was. I, I came to OA God, I was like twenty two, I was about ten pounds overweight and everybody looked crazy to me. They were all they all looked kinda this one man stood up, he was very thin, and he said, Before OA I was I was dirt. I was nothing. And I'm thinking, this guy's nuts. I'm, I, this is not me. I'm not. No, no way. I went directly to a Weight Watchers meeting. We're all there all <laughs> laughing and joking and say, oh, I had a piece of cake and I lost a pound anyway. That was, they were my people <laughs> off and on <laughs> for the rest till I was. <laughs> your way. Till, till I was like 58. They were my people. And I was up and down. Going to Weight Watchers every week for a time there, another autoimmune thing. I have thyroid disease. My thyroid got really, really fast. I felt like freaking Wonder Woman. And I lost a ton of weight, like real quick. And I'm like, and I wasn't eating any differently, but I thought I had to be because I'm losing weight. Well, I got blood tests because at Weight Watchers, they say, check your cholesterol, it'll probably go down. I checked, I said, do you check thyroid? He said, I can if you want. Turns out my thyroid was like dangerously fast. And, I, and he said, I, and here's this, maybe this higher power because he said, yeah, you feel good now, but you would have crashed and it would have been bad. You can, you can die of a fast thyroid. And mine was super, super fast. They fixed that, all that weight I lost came right back on as I sat in Weight Watchers every single week. But it's tricky because it goes up and down and up and down. So I'd lose two pounds and gain 10 pounds. But then I'd lose the two pounds from there. So like it seemed in my crazy head that I was losing, as long as I lost that eighth of a pound that week, <laughs> even though I gained three last week, I was, I was good. So here's my higher power. Again, I think through my sister. She's, she's an alcoholic. I'm allowed to say that. Um, I think she's got five years coming up. And she said, I'm going to go to an OA meeting. Do you want to go? She's my little sister. I'm like, uh, I'll go to support her. But, you know, I'll just go. I'll go so she doesn't have to drive alone. I went and it was like, oh, my God, this, this, this is me. I, when everybody spoke and when everybody said, like, you know how they say if you have, if you want what they have, do what they do? That's how I felt the first couple meetings. We went to a few. We went to one in Merchantville, which was, I wasn't that crazy about it. Then we came here and it was when it was upstairs. And I just thought, oh my God, I, I felt at home. My Weight Watchers friends knew that I couldn't, that I, I said, I'm good all day and then I eat all night. And here, so here's, and there's a solution. When everybody has the, um, why don't you drink like a gentleman, uh, that fel fellow can't ha handle his liquor, lay off the hard stuff, his willpower must be weak. They gave me things like that, like, just go to sleep. <laughs> oh, okay, just go to sleep. No, I couldn't. I had to eat. I just, I thought I was fat and lazy. That, that was my, you know, that thing in your head. 
that wheel that goes around and around and around. I was fat and lazy. This is why I can't do it. They can lose weight. I can't lose weight because I'm fat and lazy. No willpower. Although the rest of my life was okay. That's why I identify with Fred. I, I know I'm moving around, but because my life was okay. I, I wasn't, except for the fact that I threw up and then would eat Taco Bell. Like I did things like that, but I never ate out of the trash. I, you know, I didn't stay in my room. Actually, no, all night I'd eat. Everybody would go to bed and um, my daughter had a son. So we had snacks around the house because he's a kid. He's allowed to have snacks. So I was eating all these little snack bags of everything. They'd be all in the, in the um, sofa cushions as I woke up the next morning. So um, when I came here, I remember thinking, I don't even care if I don't lose weight. I just, this mind has to go away, this crazy mind. I couldn't stand it anymore. It was always talking to me. What, what are you going to wear today? A, a new season came. God forbid my f- clothes from last year are not going to fit me. Now what do I do? It was awful. I hated it. I hated that hamster wheel of those awful things going through my brain. So I thought, seriously, I didn't, as long as I stopped this yo-yo dieting, I was 50-some pounds more than I am now. But, you know, there are big women's shops. I'll shop there. Just, just get this crazy mind away. So I um, went to the meeting next door, and I'm crying because I cried, I think, every meeting for the first year. I said, I don't, I don't know what to do. I've, I'm reading this book. I don't get it. I don't even have a sponsor. And somebody said, my sponsor said, well, do you want a sponsor? And I'm like, and, and I, I'll never forget this. She said, it's Kim. She said, I had a look of joy and terror at the same moment. And that's exactly how I felt because I knew what the steps were. I watched Seinfeld. I knew that ninth step. You know, I, but it, it's scary to go through that. But I thought, they read the doctor's opinion and it gave me hope like oh, all right I get it maybe I have an allergy of the body I know I have an allergy of these other foods maybe I have one of this so I get so I figured out what my allergy foods and behaviors were and it was awful I went through withdrawal I don't know how heroin is but I went through withdrawal at night clinging to my bed sheets uh, like literally with white knuckles now I know where that comes from I was like I was not going to get out of bed because I had a feeling that this would work I just gave me hope just reading the doctor's opinion gave me hope um so I I just went through the steps you know one at a time I jumped in I jumped in head first I just thought I'm just going to do this I'll do whatever they say to do I'll do it and I had this psychic experience. It didn't happen right away. It was very gradual. I remember Pops in here. Me and him would be talking like, what are they talking about? But I had the dimmer switch, little by little. And now things happen in my life. I know there's a higher power working in my life. And I don't, I call it whatever I feel that day. And I also think what everybody in here and what everybody in the world thinks is right. I'm right and you're all right. That, that's, my, that's how I think. So anyway, I, that's my story. That's, um, 
that's how I got here and that's how I got relief from this because now I am neutral around the foods. I ha now, when I say things are happening in my house right now with my daughter, two major pretty bad things. And yesterday I was nervous and I thought, you know what, I'm powerless over this. I, I can't control this. She's 35 years old. She's going to have to figure this stuff out. God, take this away from me. I, this is not me. So she came home at last night with her son with a plan on how to deal with two of these major problems. She was not like that. It was always me, like I'm her dumping ground. She comes to me, I worry, and then she doesn't have to. It, it's like weird the way things are working out in my life. My life is not perfect. But I look at it all differently now, and it just, it just, things work out. I try to go with the flow. That's my thing. Thy will be done. I still, Catholic school, I still have a problem with thy, thee, thou. Mm -hmm. I feel a nun telling me that, you know. So, so I say, instead of thy will be done, I say, let me go with the flow of the universe, of God, or whatever. And, um, and, that, and it, it's working for me. It's unbelievable. I don't know how it works. And I guess I don't have to know how it works. That was where my problem was when I would talk to Pops. I wanted to understand. I wanted to define a higher power. When I realized, don't try to define it. Who am I to define it? I'm nobody. That's when I started feeling it. It's just awesome. It's an awesome feeling. And to be neutral around the food, it's almost like second nature. It's almost not about the food anymore. It's more about enlarging my spiritual life, which um, is where I identify with Fred. And, and when I first started this, I have on the margin, I'm Fred, because Fred, his life was okay. And I just realized recently, these three in uh, More About Alcoholism, they were all abstinent for a while. I, I, didn't, I don't know how I didn't see that. And that's another reason talking about sponsoring. I know I'm all over, but talking about sponsoring. I grew so much more after I sponsored. And those first two, I was scared to death. Who am I to tell them what to do? My sponsor said, you just follow the book. It's in the book. So that's what I do. We read, we read the book. And, and, and I learn more. I learn from what they say. They'll see things in the book that I thought that I haven't thought of in a while. Um, I'll see things in the book that I haven't thought of in a while. So sponsoring people has really helped me. And I, um, and I also lived in steps 10 and 11. I love step 11 because that's when I get to play, as my sponsor said. And I read all kinds of spiritual books. It's great. I, I just love this. So, but anyway, I identified mostly with Fred. Um, he was okay. Everything was good, not a cloud in the horizon. And then something crossed his mind to have a cocktail. And how many times have I been like that on diets? I, I've been good on this diet. I've, I've lost my weight. I'm almost at goal. The only time I ever got to goal and Weight Watchers, by the way, was when my thyroid was super duper fast. Nurses might know the number. I was like point in the 100s. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, so anyway, I, I would 
just decide. Mostly I would lose weight like for a wedding. I was in a lot of weddings. And I'd go to the wedding and then there was the cake and there were the appetizers. And I, I would just go off track right after that. Like I didn't find, a, you know, what does he, he finds a cab driver that takes him away for three days. I'm not like, it wasn't like that. But I would just continue to eat and eat and eat. That's why this, um, when they say, oh, I'm sorry about Weight Watchers, because it does work for some people. I still know people there. But when they'd say, just, just take the weekend off. I never understood why I, I took the weekend off. And then by Thursday, when I was getting weight on Saturday, I would try to get back on real quick. And of course, I would try to starve, so I would lose that eighth of a pound. Um, <laughs> you know where I am because I'm not really following this book so anyway well anyway I also I identify with the jaywalker because that was me the um up and down and up and down I I was a yo-yo dieter my whole life that's what I did I I I never could because I was always ingesting that food not realizing that, that that food was taking over and I had no choice I had to eat it there, there's just no, it's weird. Like, how do you don't have a choice? But I didn't. I just had to eat it. And that's when I started realizing, here's my higher power again. I started, when I started trying to explain to my Weight Watchers friends why it wasn't working for me, is when I started coming here. I was going to do both for a while there. I thought, that's a, it's a pretty healthy diet. I'll follow that and come here. And then I started saying things that they, they didn't want to hear. Like I'd say, I can't eat this at all. And they didn't want to hear that. And I thought, you know, I can't go back here because they're, they're all going to get mad at me and they're, they're not going to like what I have to say. And I can't hear them say, if you take Sunday off, just go back on Monday. I couldn't hear that anymore, so I stopped coming. But um, I was trying to explain to them they couldn't understand why I couldn't get back on on Monday. They all did it. They, they did, some of them did 80%, 20%, you know, where you um, eat whatever you want for 20% of the time and, and you diet for 80% of the time. I couldn't do that. They, so I was trying to explain it to them. In the meantime, understanding it myself and coming here and realizing that that you people had the answer and it was in this book and at first when I read about alcohol I'm like this makes no sense but I'm not an alcoholic I I rarely drink some you know I used to drink in my 20s I rarely drink now what are they talking about now I don't even see the word alcohol when I read this I it immediately in my mind it's alcoholic foods um, it it just that's just how I see it now so um, I'm all over the place. I know I am. Doing great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, all right, page 23. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. That um, I, I could be off, like when I was off those, all those other foods, I never went back to them. I haven't been back yet. If I went off of the sugar and my behaviors only and didn't enlarge my spiritual life, they would start calling back to me. 
because they did my whole life. I mean, I'd be off them for a while, never truly off because I would always have those diet whatever, diet popsicles, which I'd eat six at a time, you know. Um, And it was good because I tell my kid their diet, my kids, their diet, you don't want them. So they wouldn't eat them. So I could eat them all. Um, So that's how I know it centers in the mind because even though you're off of these foods, if you're not enlarging your spiritual life, those foods are going to come back. And that's my whole life now, enlarging my spiritual life. And it feels so good. Like my problems with, with at home, they're not as bad as they were. Back in the day, if these things would have happened, I would have been crazy. I would have been eating. I would have been a nervous wreck trying to solve it all and none of it would have worked everybody would have been mad at me and i would have been i would have had like a a sugar hangover from it so um uh this on page 23 this they sound like the philosophy of a man who having a headache beats himself on the head with a hammer so he can't feel the ache that was me i would eat i would binge i would feel guilty i would gain weight And because of that, I would binge again. And I mean, because of that, because I felt so bad about losing weight, I would binge again. It's like hitting myself over the head with a hammer to get rid of a headache. It makes no sense. It's insanity. And I realize that. It's it's a form of insanity. Um, Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. There's the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game but they often suspect they are down for the count. And that was me, but with me it was always, when I get below this weight, I will never go above 250 pounds again, until I did. Then I'd get below 225. I'll never go below two, uh, above 225 again, until I did. So that's how I was. I, I thought I would somehow beat this game because I got to this weight this time. There's no way it's gonna come back. But I kind of knew that I was down for the count. I kind of knew it wasn't working. I mean, come on, I was 58 years old. Well, who was I kidding? I I lost the power. I lost the power of choice. Maybe when I was 20, I could have had it, but I don't think so. I think this this disease went back. Maria's talking about when she was five. I remember being addicted to chocolate milk in a bottle. (laughs) How old are you? with a bottle. I mean, I might have been a little older. I was my mother's third kid. She may have given me a bottle just to shut me up. So I could have been a little older, but not five, I'm sure. Maybe three and four. But I remember I even had a song, How to Ask for My Chocolate Milk in the Bottle. So um, I, I was a compulsive overeater, even back then. I remember coming home from school. And I, I always had friends, because I knew how to fit in. I knew how to get people to like me. And I was fat, but they still liked me. But I'd come home from school and I'd have to, I remember thinking, watching Dark Shadows, watching <laughs> Sally Star, Three Stooges, love, still love the Three Stooges, um, having to eat sweet, then salt, then sweet, then salt, then sweet, you know, and my mother screaming at me, you got it, we're gonna eat dinner, get out of the refrigerator. And I just couldn't. I had to eat that. And I, I knew if I had a piece of ham, then I had to have, I don't know, whatever sweet she had in there. 
Um, so I so I came to this early on. I am definitely a compulsive overeater, and um, going through this book helped me helped me realize that. Um, if you are seriously alcoholic as we are, we believe there is no middle of the road solution. I tried those middle of the road solutions. I tried to, you know, go on diets, and they just they just didn't work for me because of this allergy of the body and this obsession of the mind, which he keeps repeating. And that's another. I I know I keep repeating, but this book repeats because we need this. We need to hear this over. I know I do. You need to hear it over and over and over again. Because I won't buy it if I don't. I, I'm, I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm an addict. I'm an addict. And I don't know why it's food and not alcohol. I don't know why it's food and not cocaine. I usually act, actually used to laugh and say, if this was cocaine, I'd either be in Camden or the Betty Ford Clinic. And everybody would laugh. And I wouldn't realize how true it was until I think my higher power through my sister had these things happen in my life that ended me here. It's just, uh, it's just a miracle to me that that happened before I even believed there, while I was an atheist, that happened to me. Um, On page 27, here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what they called vital spiritual experience. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of emotional displacement and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. That definitely happened to me. That wheel, that... um, you know, the fat and lazy wheel is not there anymore. But I can't say it never comes back. Not the fat and lazy. But I do sometimes have thoughts that that don't help me in any way. But now I have a way. I have a 10th step. I have an 11th step. I check in during the day with my higher power. I try to go with the flow of the universe to, to um, get rid of these thoughts. So I don't have them like I used to. I used to have a lot of fear. I was afraid of everything. And I like Lori on A Vision for You. And he said that he, he um, is not fearless, but he fears less. That's me, and that's enough. And I even have this thing that Bill wrote. Bill still had fear. And he said, you gotta get rid of all the fear you can and then work on I, I have the quote. I save a lot of quotes, and I, I don't know if I can find it. But work on the fear that is left. I mean, that's his word. So that's another thing I like about this. We're not expected to be perfect. If they told me I had to be perfect, if they told me I had to have a certain God, if it had to be a Christian God, n- none of this would have worked for me in the beginning. I, I just couldn't have taken it. So. So if I, as long as I know it's progress, not perfection, that's what I hang my hat on because I do have progress. Every time I take somebody through the steps, I feel better. I, to watch them get better, oh, my God, it's the best feeling in the world. But I have to remember that it's not me. It's, I'm letting God work through me. Uh, that's what I'm trying to do right now. 
let God speak through me. Let somebody hear something that he, whatever, not he, I, I, there's no gender, but whatever. Um, if somebody needs to hear it, please let me say it right now. Um, I got how, how many? Ten. Okay. So let's see. It's 10 o'clock. Oh. Oh, all right. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for letting me share. Awesome. <laughs> okay, at this time, please join.